talk to you about the qualifications of a, of a godly or good pastor. You can do it either way. Qualification of a good pastor. I spoke on a subject nine years ago. In fact, the other day I talked, uh, Sunday, a couple Sundays ago, I spoke on that subject. I said nine years ago. It was actually when I went back and looked at 13 years ago. It's just too long. It's just hard to believe. I know, I know, I heard old people talk like this when I was young. Yesterday, when I was young. I heard old people talk like this. Uh, they'd say, time flies. I don't see where the time's going. You know, my mother at 86 said, how'd I get here? I said, Ma, you got there one day at a time, just like I got where I'm at. <clears throat> but it, I understand now. Um, it's, days don't go by. Weeks go by. Months go by. We're not. We're in November. I'm still dating back in September 9, you know. But uh, thing, things, I, I do believe... <clears throat> the phenomenon of time accelerating is real. I don't think time itself changes. I think your perception of time does change. Uh, when I was 16 years old, I thought, when I was 15 years old, I thought I'd never get to be 16. I mean, I got my driver's license at 16, was able to get a car at 16, and I thought that just would never come. It seemed like every day, every day was a year, and uh, that's all gone. Now I want time to slow down and it said it speeds up. And it's just amazing to me. Um, it's just amazing. The whole, the whole thing is amazing. Life, I can tell you this. If you're, if you're under, under 25 here tonight, trust the Bible and what it says about life. And when you get to be 66 or up, you'll be glad you did. I am so glad tonight that I trusted the Word of God. First of all, that He allowed me to know it. Because not everybody gets the privilege of being exposed to the Bible. But I was exposed to the Bible from two years old on. And so as a, from a youth, from a, from a child, I have known the Holy Scriptures. Of course, I'm more accountable. But it's been such a blessing. Such a, now I'm, it's just, whoo, it's just wonderful as to know Jesus. And everything in the Bible it says about life and the way you end up is true. If you trust God, it's true. God will help you. Let's take your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. I'm going to talk about maybe one of the greatest pastors, at least in the first century. Uh, the greatest pastor, no doubt, in the Bible. The greatest missionary in the Bible. I mean, Peter may feel like he was a good pastor. And James may feel like he was a good pastor of Jerusalem. Uh, but I, I think uh, Paul... No doubt was a fabulous pastor. He was also a tremendous, maybe the best missionary I've ever been. I don't know. He'd argue about that. He wouldn't say it was so. But starting in verse 17, he, he is meeting some folks. He's going back after the third missionary journey. He's going back to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit told him to go back. Do not be confused when all them people he met said, the Holy Spirit told us that when you go to Jerusalem, you, you face bondage and, and trouble. Because he knew that, but he didn't care. He knew God wanted him to go back to Jerusalem, and he knew that Jerusalem, was he was facing trouble. He knew. Paul was told by Jesus himself what great things he would suffer for his namesake. 
all the way to the very end of his life when he got beheaded, he suffered for Jesus. The, boy, the man didn't have any easy way. There was no easy way for Paul. But he, but he didn't suck his thumb and complain to God. He said, in fact, he said, I'm not worthy to even be called apostle. I'm the chief of all sinners, less than the least of all the Gentiles. And he said, man, it's a privilege to be a witness for the gospel. Well, he's coming to these people, and he had literally been beaten for these people. He had been persecuted for them to get the gospel to them. They got the gospel to them, and they got saved, and they grew, and they formed a local visible church. That's what this is. That's the way God's chosen to reach the world, through a local visible church. And so <clears throat> these people from Ephesus had come in that he had uh, led to Christ, a lot of them, and others that had been saved. And he starts talking to them in verse 17 of chapter 20 of Acts. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. The elders of the church, uh, if you biblically definition, would be pastors, bishops. And when they had come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you in, at all seasons. Instant, in season, out of season. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations. That don't sound like health and wealth to me, does it? That don't sound like the Joel Olstein gospel. And which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Was Paul in the will of God? Absolutely. Was he tem what, did, he, did he have temptations, tears? Yes, he did. Today, when bad things happen to people, the first thing they say is, oh, oh, I must not be pleasing God. I must not be doing something right. Don't think that way. Don't think that way. No, no. If you're, if you're serving God and doing what's right, don't be surprised if you suffer persecution. He said, if you'll live godly, you will suffer persecution. And I love this next statement, man. How I kept nothing back, kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. That, that, that means Paul was an he was a fundamental preacher. Because that's the characteristic of a fundamentalist compared to everybody else. A fundamentalist doesn't keep anything back. They preach the whole counsel of God. Whether it's popular or not popular, whether it attracts people or repels people, they preach the whole counsel. That's what he did. And he says, but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to house testifying both to the Jews, also the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is right there. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit, because that's what the Holy Spirit said, going to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Those people along the way kept telling him, here's what's going to happen. Save that the Holy Ghost witness in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or await me. But none of these things move me. There's so much preaching in this passage. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I received the Lord Jesus. To, what it was that ministry? To testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul had come a long way to this point of writing of Acts chapter 20. 
since his call on the road to Damascus, uh, since his education by Jesus himself, since his almost constant persecution from the Jews and the Gentiles both, he senses that his ministry with these people in this area is winding down. There's some uncertainty even in the great apostle Paul's life. He could not clearly see what, what was ahead. Only that bonds and affliction uh, were coming in ahead of him, but he could know specifics. In this moment of personal sentimentality, realizing that he will not see these people again, he reviews what has made his ministry among them good. And for every preacher out there, this is also a great review for us. And so we see here kind of a biography of a good pastor. And I think, and Ohio said it before I ever heard it, everybody ought to read their own biography once in a while. You ought to review your life once in a while with God. By, and I'm not talking about praising yourself, because man shouldn't praise himself. But you should review what God has done in your life. From the moment he saved you, drew you. Sometimes I go back, and I can't even start on it, about my little, about Kathy and I, how he, how he drew us in to himself. I think you should try to step back and look at the big picture of what God has done and allowed to be done through your life. Learning from your failures, of course, is great. Rejoicing over the victories is even better. But there's three areas here tonight I'm going to deal with, which will be behind me in faith, because I'm not going to look back. Three areas Paul felt were important to any good pastor. Slide one, please, whatever, two, whatever it is. First, a good pastor must have a clear manner of life. We find that in verses 17 through 19, specifically in verse 18 there he says, after what manner I have been with you in all seasons. A good pastor is one who serves. Um, when, when Brother John was hired here as my assistant, when Brother Marty was hired here, when Brother Barrows was hired here, I made it real clear to them when they came that this was not a job. This was a life. Uh, that you're not coming in here as a, as a paid employee of Gospel Baptist Church. You're coming in as a call, God-called and anointed pastor of the Holy Ghost. And we're laying our lives down we don't work hours, we lay our lives down for him. Now we have hours and we, have a, uh, we obviously try to be balanced about our families and all that other stuff, but ultimately this is not a job. This is a life. Of course, I think they understand that better now than they did when they came. Good pastor's life is marked and should be marked by personal service. In Matthew 18, 4, it says, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as a little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He that is greatest among you shall be your servant. In, Luke, in Matthew 23, 11. Luke 22, 26, But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be the, uh, as a younger, and he that is chief, as he that does serve. There's no place for professionalism in the call of God. We're not a bunch of big shots here at Gospel. In fact, the older you get in Christ, the smaller you ought to get in your own eyes. 
You know, it would have helped David had he remained small in his own eyes. It would have helped Saul had he remained small in his own eyes. You can go down through the people that failed. Is that pretty soon they get thinking they're big, big. Somehow they're, they, they rate differently. They're specially gifted or specially charmed or they got some. But the truth is, if nothing, you would be nothing without God. He gave you your vision and your men, mental abilities, your ability. And, and one little capillary can break in your head and you don't know who you are or where you're at. A good pastor must be one who's willing to serve in just about anything, anywhere. One thing I made clear on the job description of the people who work here at the gospel was, was there's no job too dirty for us. And Brother Barrow said, Brother Barrow's, he is nicknamed a gospel Spider-Man. When you look in that gym and you don't see spider webs absolutely covering the ceiling. If, if Brother Barrow's had not been doing what he's been doing, you would not be able to see the ceiling because of the spider webs. He gets up there and rolls them up and gets some baby spiders all over him. Baby spiders by the million, literally millions. Get in him, get in him. That's why his hair's standing up. And, and uh, he don't put anything on that. That's just natural. Uh, and he don't like spiders particularly. And he gets up on there and it's hot up there and he sprays them. And, and uh, he's Spider-Man. He does, it's a dirty job. In fact, he told me the other day, you know, we could make a, TV series of this thing, Dirty Jobs. The other day, we had him in the attic over here. This attic's the oldest attic in the building, 1980. And we had him in that attic, and there's, there's one place that's only this big. You got to crawl in. You got to put yourself in. Then you got to crawl on your belly on that insulation all the way to the edge where it was only that tall. Nails wanting to hit him on top of the head. You know, he's like this, and he had to do work in that. It's hot. And it's nasty. And, 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 uh, he said, man, this could go down for dirty jobs. Now, he didn't like it, but he did it with a good attitude. He didn't get any more money, but he did it with a good attitude. And a sense of humility. Paul said, I'm gonna have, I, had, I shed many tears over this ministry, many temptations, many trials, adversity he, he went through. His personal testimony was, I don't think he had, had no idea the humbling tears and trials that faced. I'll tell you, in this ministry, I, don't, I, have, I never had a clue. When you're an assistant pastor, you're a hero. But as soon as you become a senior pastor, you go to a zero. I, 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 everybody loved me for 12 years. And, and they loved me so much, they voted me in as senior pastor. And then numbers of them viciously turned on me. One of them was one of my biggest fans. Said I was the devil. I mean the devil, not a devil. I said, whoa. Said I was hurting people with my ministry. Hurting people. And just went on. And then left the church. And then another couple left the church. First year, first year. Well, all hell broke loose. I said, God... I'm still called, and this is what I ought to be doing. That was Paul. It didn't slow him down because nothing good comes without suffering or sacrifice. Nothing you'll ever do in life good will not come without some suffering and personal sacrifice. And that goes for building houses, 
doing whatever you're doing, you're going to have to have some personal sacrifice and some suffering. You're going to have to stay up at night a few times when you can't figure out how you're going to do your payroll. On and on it goes. Or something didn't go in right, and they're going to sue you. Morgan and Morgan shows up at your house. But if you've received, listen to this, if you've received something good, either you sacrificed and suffered for it, or someone else sacrificed and suffered for it, because there is no free lunch. There is no free lunch. Somebody is sacrificing either you or someone else. So the characteristic of a pastor is his manner of life. The second slide, if you switch it. The secondly, a good pastor must have a clear message of life. Those are verses 20, 21, 27. He says, I kept back nothing. I went house to house. I preached repentance towards God and faith Toward our, uh, toward our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's a beautiful passage where those two terms are married together. Repentance and faith. He said, I didn't shun to teach you the whole counsel. I get up here sometimes, I get moved by God to preach a sermon, and I go, oh, Lord, you know, oh, Lord, man, I'll do it, but man, you know, that's not going to go. Don't, don't get mad at me and don't take it wrong, but I'm, I'm obliged to do this. But Joel Olstein's wrong, dead wrong. Bill Hybels is wrong, dead wrong. Rick Warren is wrong, dead wrong. Robert Schuler is wrong, dead wrong. Because they did not do what Paul said, they held back. They hid some of God's instructions from the people because it would have reduced their attendance or reduced their income and it reduced their popularity would not have gone well over TV, and they held back. They softened the blow of God's word on the people. What arrogance is that? What pride is that, that a man can correct God? Because if you don't preach the whole counsel of God the way it's written, in essence, you're saying that you know how to do it better than God knows how to do it. Isn't that what you're saying? Isn't that what you're saying? If I, if, I, if I say, well, I can't preach that because that's going to, the, you know, then when God put it there to be, this book is to be consumed cover to cover. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. They hid it. By the way, is God's Word not relevant? You know, certain things make me nauseous. And I don't get nauseous. I don't get seasick easy. But I'm going to tell you, when I hear these churches advertise the church that's relevant, stop it! Relevant to what? If you preach the Word of God, it is as relevant as anything will ever be. It can't get more relevant than that. By the way, preaching repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is relevant. I, I think them people in North Carolina and South Carolina in those areas, when you drive through them mountains and they put repent or perish, I don't think that's too harsh. I don't think that's, uh, oh, oh, that'll hurt a millennial's feelings. Well, millennials are going to break hell wide open if they don't repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to break hell wide open. The, the, they don't make the rules. 
God makes the rules. And we can just conform to them. He says, I went door to door, house to house. Man, uh, Don Sis told me one time, I love Don Sis. Don Sis told me one time, he says, Church of California has 1,000 people going door to door. He said they visit 20,000 homes a morning. He said, Brother Bill, it works. Keep at it. It works. I kept back nothing, and my pastor ain't here for you. I've tried to keep back nothing that is profitable to you. Like Paul, I want to preach the whole counsel of God. No part, no part do I want to deem culturally archaic. No part do I want to deem deem old-fashioned. No part do I want to deem not relative to where you live. No part of the Bible do I want to deem it too difficult, like marriage and divorce or remarriage. I preached on marriage and divorce one time, and Steve Currington was here. And Steve told me, you're probably part of a handful of churches in the United States who would ever preach that message. And I felt, I thought, oh, no kidding. I may only have three people, but at least I preached the truth. He said, trust me, Bill, nobody would preach that anywhere I go. I said, that's a shame, a crying shame, because it was just Bible. So a, good, a godly pastor, a good pastor, has, a, has a, 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 a biblical manner of life. He's got a clear message of life. And slide number three or four or whatever it is. I'm not looking back. A good pastor must have a, at least a handle on the meaning of life. Found in verse 24 there, neither count on my life dear unto myself so I can finish my course. I believe this is the secret of never moving left. You know there's a lot of pressure to compromise. Man, there's a lot of pressure to move left. I remember when, I was, I remember when John Boucher was, first came here, 22 years old, out of Bob Jones. He was contemplating moving left to a, a new evangelical position, which some of you may not know what that means, but it just simply means they, well, you don't want to know. But it's just left of us in numbers of areas. He said, you know, all my buddies, when they graduated from school, they... They're calling me up and saying, hey, man, you don't want to be no fundamentalist. You want to be with us. We're, we're, we're having the bigger crowds, the better. It's a lot easier, da, 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 da. And, he, and I had to sit down and spend hours with him going over the Bible and saying, is this what the book says or doesn't it? Does it say it or don't it? This is a bill I tell. This is the Bible. Is this the Bible? Is this what you learned about, Jones? This is, what I'm, is this the Bible? He said, it's the Bible. He got solid on that area and still solid there today. This will keep you from moving left. In verse, in verse 2 Peter 1, 10, it says, Wherefore, rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. I don't think Brother Barrows has to compromise. I don't think Brother Moon's got to compromise. I know I don't have to compromise. And there's no excuse for a pastor to compromise. I've seen it over and over again. To have the right meaning of life, you've got to understand that this life is not where it's at. In other words, you don't count your life dear unto yourself. You realize that the, the, what's going to count is going to be the next life. It's going to be the other world that's coming. 
It's going to be the thing which is going, that God is going to make us for eternity. That's why I put it in the book of Revelation. That's why I put it in the books of Daniel and the minor prophets. Why, when he lets you see ahead to the coming. Why, why he described the new Jerusalem for us. Why do you think he described the foundations and the names and, the, and, and they're studded with jewels? And some, why do you think he described the streets of gold? Why do you think he described the purity of the water, of the crystal clear or water of life and the tree of life on either side bearing 12 fruit in their season? Why do you think he does all that? He's trying to help you realize you need to put your marbles in the next life. You, to make it in this life, you've got to be willing to die to this world and all of the lust of it. A good pastor has to die to anything, that, any carrot the old world throws in front of you. You just got to be willing to give it up. Now, God may not have you do that, but he's going to, you got to be willing. Good pastor has to have a clear purpose and a good course of action. What's your purpose tonight? What's your purpose? What's your purpose for living? What's your purpose for taking up space? What's your purpose for eating food and consuming? And why are you here? I'm not talking about here tonight, but I'm here on earth. What's your purpose? Brother, I don't want to live without a real clear defined purpose for God. Maybe it's the bus ministry. Maybe it's a door-to-door ministry. Maybe it's a flea market. Maybe it's RU. Maybe it's nursing home. Maybe it's Sunday school. Maybe it's junior church. Maybe it's your Christian school. And I may have forgotten some things, uh, some other ministries. And please forgive me if I have and I have. But you must have a ministry. You must have a course that you're pursuing for Jesus. That's why I like reading through the Bible every year. It's a course that you're pursuing. You're not just floating through this year. Oh, I'm going to read. And you won't read. You know you ain't going to be happy with the result at the end of the year. You put your name on there, and you determine by the grace of God, that you are not going to eat food if you don't keep your word on reading that book through. And you're going you're gonna to do it, and you're going to do it. And at the end of the year, when you're reading, I've had literally hundreds of people come to me and say, Preacher, whoo, I feel good. I read the Bible this year. There's great reward in reading a book. It's just one thing. You pass out tracts. There's great reward. Maybe the track ministry. But who, I mean, the, the key to it all is who you're doing it for. You know, we hear at the gospel, sometimes you may get the wrong idea that we're trying to build something for ourselves here. That because of the bus ministry, because of the door-to-door, because of the nursing home, that we're trying to do something. None of that is for us. It's for him. Understand why you do what you do. Why you tithe. It's for him. He said to do it. Well, why do you go? Why do you witness? For him. Why do you pastor yourself? For him. Why do you read the Bible? It's for him. He who gave himself for me. It's the least I can do is to serve him. It's a beautiful thing. So who are you doing this for? I think it's the key truth. So let's do the review slide here. Ready? Number one, a a godly pastor, a good pastor, must have a clear manner of life. He must have a clear message of life. He must have a clear meaning of life. 
And that's what Paul did when he went through here. He went through and he had, he had all three of them. And then he finally said, I'm ready to be delivered. It was sad for him when the Holy Spirit revealed that he, he would not come back through there again. They, the Bible says they, they, lay, they laid on each other and wept. You know, they hugged each other and wept. I miss people. I miss people. I miss lots of folks. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to do a lot of crying. So he don't wipe away the tears to the end part. I think there's going to be a lot of crying in heaven. I think when I hug my dad again, I'll cry. I think when I hug old Jim McCullum, I'll cry. And then Dick Carr, and then George Nelson, and then on and on and on and on. Ernie Stewart. Ah, Pastor McKinney. V.L. Martin. Boy. On and on it goes. Yes, it's good. But it'll be tears of joy. It won't be tears of regret. Amen? You know, the beautiful thing about living for Christ is there's like no regret. You know the world... I heard, I, I'm interested in, in famous people and how they end. I'm interested in reading what they say and what they think about life at the end. Frank Sinatra, extremely immoral. Extremely immoral. And he, had, he made statements at the end of his life that he just hated his life. And, and you know, you wouldn't have a guy that had more of a Cinderella life than Frank Sinatra in this world. You with me? Everybody knew him. He was famous. They call him the chairman of the board. He was powerful. He was super rich. And he had a pretty good singing voice, to be honest with you. He did it his way. And it ended horribly because eventually he came where he had to face God on all that. And the regrets begin to come in. Voltaire, they said, I read about Voltaire, the great atheist, denounced his atheism at the end of his life. You remember Madeline Murray O'Hare? What a miserable human being. She was the one that pushed through abortion, didn't she? No? What was that? Take a Bible out of school. <laughs> she ended horribly. In fact, nobody even knows what happened to her. I don't think they ever found out what happened to her. She like disappeared. That woman was so evil that God didn't even let her have a funeral. You know what? That's what he did in the Bible. When if you were so evil, he just let your body. The worst thing he'd do for you is let your body lay out on the ground, let the birds eat it. That was one of the biggest condemnations. Why should you get buried? Because God said so, and everybody in the Bible that has any honor has been buried. They have not been cremated. Oh, am I rubbing the cat? It's all about preaching the whole council of God now. I'm going to tell you, your pastor told, is telling you right now, do not get cremated. If you get in an automobile accident and your car catches on fire and you get cremated by God, I'll go with it. But unless you get cremated by God, do not get cremated. 
Oh, you got big reasons why you want to be cremated because it's cheap. Brother, anybody that had any kind of status with God got buried. And they got mourned over. And they got thought about. It's God's way. My mom and dad, man, we spent 15 grand to bury my dad and 15 grand to bury my mom. I wanted, it was their money. It was easy spending. But I could have not spent it and we could have divided it between my two brothers. Right? Because that's the way it went, third, a third, a third. So that's 30,000 bucks. That'd been, uh, I can't do the math real well, but it'd been like 70 some hundred and 70 some hundred, whatever. And my brother came up to me and says, you really want to spend that kind of money on your mom? I said, let me just tell you something. We want to honor them. And so we got a nice casket, 127 board feet, clear board, oak board feet. Those caskets were pieces of furniture. Man, I don't want to let Tut and Common be buried better than my mom and dad. It makes a difference. I can just tell you that. That's the whole counsel of God. Now I can't be blaming my blood. Your blood is off my hand. But we need to continue to boldly proclaim the truth by the grace of God in love. I pray, I hope you pray for your pastor, me and others that may be after me. That they live sacrificially. That they pray. That they walk with God. They hold back nothing. You know, people make it easy, though, to preach the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you, God. People come to you, and you know this preacher, when they come to you and say, Preacher, I appreciate you. I know that was hard to preach. I appreciate you doing that. That helps the preacher. That helps him. When the devil comes by and says, Man, you better, not, you better skip that one because you know that's going to go over wrong. And, and people will leave, and they won't come back. And trust me, you can go down the road. They'll tell you everything you want to hear. But you won't be getting the whole console. A godly pastor. Paul gave us, through the, through the Holy Spirit, Acts gave us a great example. And may we, by the grace of God, be like that. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness. Thank you for the blessed word of God we can go back to and be encouraged. Thank you for God called pastors. Thank you for Brother Moon. Thank you for Brother Barrows. Thank you for Brother John Boucher that have come through here. Thank you for B.L. Martin. Thank you for, oh, Harry McKinney. Such wonderful people that want to do right. It's a gift from you. Thank you, Father. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would bless Gospel Baptist Church. That by the grace of God, like I heard the other day, some church had an over 200-year anniversary. Boy, just a thrill went down my spine when I thought maybe 170, 60-something, well, whatever. 160 years from now, Gospel Baptist Church at this very place could be having an anniversary of preaching and proclaiming the gospel of this city. Woo! May it be so, Father. If you, if you tarry, why not? Why not? We love you. Father, if there anybody in this room that knows not Jesus, they have not repented of their sin and had faith in Jesus Christ, may they tonight do that. Seal it. Settle their destiny of their soul. In Jesus' name, amen.
If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.